This is CD number one of the messages titled Five Steps to Productive Prayer, presented by Dr. Joseph A. Webb, President of CPR Ministries, Longwood, Florida. For more information on CPR Ministries, please visit our website at www.cprministries.org. We talk a lot about prayer, but there's not a lot of prayer that's happening in the life of many believers today. I like to have people say, what good does it do to pray? And uh, sometimes I feel what they're saying is, I don't get what I want when I pray. So, and so they don't understand what prayer is all about. Prayer is not getting what we want. It's finding out what God wants and doing what he wants us to do. Let me say that again. Prayer is not getting what you want done. It's finding out what God wants us to do. Jesus went up in the mountain, prayed all night, and then came down the next morning and selected his apostles to, to uh, work with him, the twelve closest ones with him. I believe he spent all night saying, God, the Father, I need wisdom, I need direction, show me the right decisions to make. And I really believe that if we would spend more time in prayer just seeking God's direction rather than trying to give God direction, that we would see a total change take place in our prayer life. You see... The scripture says that when you seek me with all your heart, you will surely find me. When you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you shall be filled. And uh, I, uh, I want to talk about the five steps for productive prayer. Five steps for productive prayer. And the first thing is, whenever we pray, or excuse me, whatever we pray for, should be something that really deeply concerns or interests us. Something that we really are burdened about. When God puts a burden on our heart, that's when we need to go to prayer. I have many times people come and say, Oh, pray for my aunt, sister, Susie's brother-in-law down in, you know, and, and I, I don't know anything about them. And I always say, if when the Lord lays them on my heart, I will be praying for them. And many times I'll say, let's pray for them right now. And I'll pray for them. And then if the Lord wants me to pray again, he'll remind me again. I, I know this past week, there are several times the Lord laid someone on my heart very strongly and I just had to stop what I was doing and just pray for those specific people as the Lord laid them on my heart. But the first thing is you have to know that the Lord's putting a concern in your heart for them. Uh, when you think of, of uh, Jacob in Genesis 32, you remember when he was coming back home? He had a deep concern that his brother was going to kill him and all of his family. And uh, Jacob had always been a schemer and a manipulator and trying to get his things done the way he wanted to get them done. And uh, when he came up against the wall where he didn't have the answer... He spent all night in prayer wrestling with the angel, remember? And he was so desperate, he came to the place where we have to come when we really want to have a meeting with God, really want to get come through with God. He said, I'll not let you go till you what? I'm not going to let you go until I get what I came for. I really want you to do that job in my hand. I think of Hannah. Hannah was a wonderful woman, God-fearing woman, wanting to serve the, serve the Lord the best she could, but she couldn't have children. And the scripture tells us in 1 Samuel, the first chapter in the 10th verse, that uh, she wanted a child. And it says that as she was praying, she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Just cried out to the Lord. In 1 Samuel, the first chapter, it says she wept sore. And then, in, that's in the uh, 10th verse. But if you'll get down to 1 Samuel 1, verse 19... It says, And they rose up in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah, her new Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. 
he heard her prayer. And the Lord heard her. And uh, the third one is when the disciples were in the boat. Now, they had been fishermen. They had been busy fishing all the time, doing the work that they needed to do while they were... Uh, I mean, they, they didn't have any problem being out on the water. But this storm that came up was so bad that they were even fearful. They thought, thought for sure that boat was going to go to the, to the bottom of the lake or the sea, and uh, it says then they came to Jesus and said, don't you care about us? And they cried out to Jesus for help, and it says then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and there was a calm. When you pray, you just kind of lightly say, well, God, take care of this, God, take care of that, God, take care of the other thing. The Word of God says we've got to seek him with all of our heart. We've got to realize that there's no one else can give the answer that we need. We have no other source. God is our source. How many of you realize that Jesus said concerning us, all of us talented, gifted, wonderful people, without me you can do nothing. And then he said, uh, God spoke in the Old Testament saying, call unto me, I'll call upon me and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things which you know not. The New Testament tells us that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And I want to tell you something that I've learned when I get a burden in my heart. I'm trying to learn, and I want to keep learning, that I don't tell God how to do it. When God puts a burden on your heart, you just have to simply just lay that burden up before him and say, God, I'm trusting you, I'm believing you, your ways are so far above my ways, your thoughts are so far above my thoughts. All I want to know and all I want to have is the peace and the assurance that you've heard me and that what I'm supposed to do about it. And I'm going to leave the means up to you. Time and time again, I've thought, God, I, if you'll just get this to work out and this to work out, then that's going to take care of this over here. And I start telling, and I start thinking, wait a minute, who am I to tell God what order to do things in? And every time I have left it with God, he's always surprised me with a better way. He doesn't come and say, you lay down the rules to me as to what I'm going to have to do. You come and tell to cast your burden on me and let me work it out my way. And by the way, may I add, in my time. There's a lot of things down through the years of my life that I knew God was late on. Very late in some things. But again, I back up and say, God, I refuse to take that position. You do all things well. Your way is absolutely perfect. And whatever you're trying to teach me through this experience, I thank you for it ahead of time. Please don't let me miss this truth. But that first thing is, whatever we pray for, we should be deeply interested and concerned about it. And lay it out before the Lord and then let the Lord work out the details. Secondly, we must feel totally unable to accomplish what we want. Look at Daniel, the second chapter. I mean, if you can work it out yourself, why go to God? Hello? If there is a human way to do it, do it. If God's laid it on your heart, but if there's... You're going to have to feel totally unable to accomplish what you want to get done when you come to God. God, I just lay it before you. don't have any idea how you want me to do it. If you'll give me any guidance, if you'll give me a word, if you'll give me direction, fine. If you won't give me, I won't do a thing. I'll just, I'll just hold right here until you give me the guidance and direction I need to know what direction to go in. Daniel, the second chapter, beginning with the 17th verse. Beautiful thing. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had this wonderful dream. 
And then he said to the soothsayers and the wizards and all those that, uh, the wise men of his day, tell me what my dream was. And they said, well, you tell us what the dream is and we'll interpret it. He said, no, 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 anybody can do that. You tell me what it was and then you interpret it. And they couldn't do it. And, God, and Nebuchadnezzar was about ready to have all of them killed. And then someone said, wait a minute, uh, told Daniel what was happening. He came and said, King, give me some time. The God of heaven knows what it's all about. Verse 17 of chapter 2. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they would desire or pray mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the God, the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. I think that's good for us to remember when we worry about who gets elected in this nation. God sets them up. God sets them down. I can remember a time when we had other presidents that we were really concerned about, and they aren't even here anymore. God knows exactly what he's doing. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He reveals them. See, we're totally unable to accomplish, but he can. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. He went to God and said, God, I don't know what that... I mean, Daniel didn't sit there and all of a sudden figure out, well, this is what he was praying about. God had to reveal to him what the king was praying about, or dreaming about. And he said, Lord, you gave it to me. Therefore, uh, thou hast made known unto us the king's matter. And uh, when he went to the three Hebrew children, he said, only God knows. I don't know it, but let's pray. Let's cry out to God and ask God to show us what to do. We have to feel totally unable to accomplish anything in ourselves. I'm not going to get through with this third point, but I'll try to get it across to you. We have to believe that God is interested and concerned in those things that we're interested in and concerned about. Let me tell you something. There are a lot of gods that are worshipped in this world today that I mean, they have no concern whatsoever because they're not real gods. Even the demons, if they ever try to make a prayer look like it's been answered to the heathen religions, it's only for their own advantage to get people drawn in further so that they can destroy them later on. But the word of God says, as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. How many of you that are parents, if your children come to you with a deep concern, if you saw your daughter or your son come to you with tears running down their face saying, I've got a real problem, how many of you would say, it's tough, forget it. And if we think that our human parents love us, how much more our Heavenly Father loves us. We have to believe that before we come to Him. We have to believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Because if you seek Me with your whole heart, you will surely find Me. And you're able to do, He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. These are the promises that He gives us in His Word. Look at Psalm 146. Psalm 146, right after Psalm 145, verses 5 through 9. 
Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever. Another translation says, which keeps every promise. God keeps his promise. If he tells you he'll do something in his word, you can bank on it. You can put your money in the bank on that thing. He says, He keepeth all truth forever, which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. The Lord looseth the prisoners. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and the widow. But the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. There are some tremendous promise for belief, promises in those verses for believers. All the things that God said he's going to do therefore. Executes judgment for the oppressed. In other words, he'll, he'll, he'll make things right. If you've been oppressed, don't try to fight back. God will take care of you, take care of your side for you. And if you're hungry, he provides for you. And if you had God supernaturally provide food for you, provisions for you, that's part of his promise, and he will do it. Looses the prisoner. I've heard so many testimonies of people that were put in prison for life and have death sentence on their heads, and they got saved, and God's turned it around, and they're out in a ministry today serving the Lord. He looses the prisoners. But not just physically, he looses the prisoners from sin, too. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. And I want to tell you something. All of us from time to time have blind spots. And that's why I have to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, remove the blind spots in my, my life. Help me to see the things. You know, this, this amazes me when I see some people have such tremendous insight into the Word of God and then there are certain areas where they're totally blind. But we have to just pray that the Lord will open their eyes to see these things and also ask the Lord to open our eyes to blind spots that we may have. Raise up them that are bowed down. We pray tonight for those with heavy hearts. The enemy's work is to discourage and to defeat. But the Lord raises us up. Now, you know, we can't look to people to do it. The arm of flesh will always fail us. We've got to look to the Lord and say, Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to joy in the God of my salvation. I am going to praise the Lord. I'm going to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in the heart of the Lord. And before long, you'll begin to feel inside a lifting of your spirit. I can remember times when couples have come here to church and said, I came tonight, I was so exhausted, so tired, and so weary, I just didn't think I could make it. And I feel rejuvenated inside after this time of praise and worship. Why? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up the wings as eagles and run and not be weary and walk and not faint. And then Matthew, the sixth chapter. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25, we must believe that God is interested and concerned in what interests and concerns us. Matthew 6, 30, 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Another translation says, don't worry or be anxious. Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat? and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are they not much better than, are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to, unto his stature? 
And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like unto one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? What's he saying? If God is concerned enough for every blade of grass and every flower and every grain that's growing, you're much more valuable to God than that. Why are you worried if he says he'll take care of you? Now, that does not mean that we do not work. The Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. But if God lays it on your heart to do a special work and a special ministry and it's really of God and you know it's of God, he'll make provision. How can he do it? Oh, I don't know. He'll have to come up with something. He'll think of something sooner or later, you know. I'm just amazed how small some people's God really is. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think in ways that we can't even imagine. Verse 31. Therefore, take what? No thought. Don't even let it enter into your mind. Take no thought saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We have to know that God is interested and concerned in what we do. I'm going to stop right there because of the next portion of Scripture I get into, I want to get into it very deeply and share with you because this is an area we have to understand clearly if we're going to see God answer prayer in our lives. He said if we don't do things by faith, we're not going to receive the benefit of it anyway. And so whatsoever is not of faith is sin. We've got to know that God is concerned about us. You see, some people think, well, I know he's concerned about pastors and missionaries and so forth. No, God's concerned about you, right where you are, with the talents and gifts he's given you. It doesn't make any difference what other people think about what you're doing. If you're doing it as unto the Lord, God's going to honor you and bless you for it because you're doing it as unto him. There are some jobs and some things that people do where they get all the acclaim all the time. Everybody says, oh, how wonderful, boy, I appreciate it, blessed, praise God, I just... Tell, talk all about the talent. Then there's like what Paul talked about, the body that has the hidden part. They're not out front, but they're vital. Very important. And many times it's easy for them to get discouraged. And I want them to know that God sees and knows them right where they are, and he appreciates them, and he is their source. He's going to provide for them. It doesn't make difference what other people think. He's going to provide for them. But whatsoever your hands find to do, do it and with all your might as under the Lord. And the Lord will reward you. He will repay you. He will restore you. He will, he will make up for it. I can remember times when I was uh, in Bible college, I had to study, but I knew there was something I was supposed to go and minister, and I'd say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to trust you to make it up. And I, I was having a struggle studying, and I'd go off and do that job and come back thinking I was going to be exhausted. And when I'd sit down, I could study so much faster and get done so much more easily. And I said, thank you, Lord, for making up that time for me. You see, we have to learn that God is concerned about you. Whatever your need is, he will meet and supply that need, if you'll believe him. You know, if we go in with doubt, he says, he that doubts won't receive anything from the Lord. He that's double-minded won't receive anything from the Lord. We have to realize we can't say, I'm so useless and worthless, God won't have anything to do with me. 
because that's calling God a liar. He said that we're special, that we're like the pupil of his eye. Of his eye. He protects us just like he protects the, we protect the pupil of our eye. How many of you know that you don't let people come around poking you in the eye? With, if a piece of dust almost flies in your eye, your eye automatically blinks before it ever gets there. Why? And that's what God said. You're like, you're like the pupil of my eye. That's how much I love you and how much I'll protect you. But you've got to believe that for yourself. If we're going to have productive prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you tonight for all the promises you've given us that help us to men and women of faith and to believe that those promises are for us. And I pray tonight, Father, for those that are discouraged that you administer to them right where they are right now. And they'd say, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning me, and God's way is perfect. He never makes a mistake. And I will joy in my God. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And I will seek the Lord. I will seek the Lord's face. I will seek an answer from the Lord to show me exactly what His purpose is. Father, I pray that we'll do nothing in the flesh. Nothing in the flesh. In Jesus' name, I bind away from us the spirit of rebellion or flesh or anything that would cause us to say, I'm going to go my way, I'm going to do my thing, and we'll say, I'm going to do what God would have me to do and only what God would have me to do when I have a perfect peace that this is the will of God concerning me. Let that be our portion. Let that be the, 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 the light that we walk in, Father, and then expect the blessings to be ours. This we pray in Jesus' precious name. Will you just make that commitment to the Lord? Lord, I, I really want to be productive in prayer tonight, and I, I really want to apply these principles because I want to see you operate in my life in a new and wonderful way. I know that I'm here to answer prayer tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning. Subject is very important, but is not practiced a lot by many Christians today. There are people who say prayers have about as much meaning as the prayer I heard the little boy was supposed to have made when he went to bed said, Now I lay me down to sleep, a bag of peanuts at my feet, and if I die before I wake, you know I die of a bellyache. And uh, I'm not being sacrilegious, I'm simply saying there's some people that have just about that much emotion, that much oomph when they get into their prayers. There's something they're supposed to do, and they don't realize that it's the most powerful tool that God has given to us as believers. Tool to change our lives, and a tool to influence God to work in behalf of those that we're concerned about and those situations that we're concerned about. And if we realize and understand that God has established some principles for productive prayer and we'll begin to function in those, those uh, principles, we'll begin to see answers to prayer more regularly. Uh, and Jesus said we have not because what? We ask not. We ask not many times because we... Uh, uh, don't believe that it would make any difference. I've had people say, well, I haven't seen the prayers made much of a difference. And my first question is, in what? You see, prayer must be that time when we come and say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and others is in heaven. And uh, Lord, you give me the grace, you give me the understanding, you open and close doors, you lead and direct me every day. You see, the, the tendency is, is God, give me this, give me that, do this, do that, and the other thing, now uh, I'm just going to stand back and see if you're going to do it. And if you don't do it, What's the use in praying? We're missing God's principles as far as prayer is concerned. I said last week, first of all, the first principle is whatever we pray for, we should be deeply interested and concerned about. 
The scripture says, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I mean, if you're not too excited or worried about it, why should God get worried about it? And we talked about the fact that Jacob, when he really got through to God, was when he was under pressure, when he wrestled all night with, with the angel of God. And uh, when Hannah was desperate for a child, she, she prayed so hard that the high priest thought she had been drinking that early in the morning. <clears throat> she was just groaning in desire to have a child, and God heard her prayer. And the disciples evidently were very concerned and interested when they cried out to Jesus and said, Lord, save us, when they were on the sea. Uh, there needs to come a real time when we find out, what am I really concerned about? What do I really want to know from God? What do I want to see God do in my life? What answers do I need in my life? And when we find out what those answers are, then begin to cry out to God for those situations and uh, be deeply concerned about it. Secondly, you have to feel totally unable to accomplish the desire that you want to bring to God. In other words, if you can do it yourself, why pray? I like what one man said one time, when I see an impossibility come up in front of me, I know now I'm getting ready to see a miracle. And that's the expectation God wants us to have, to realize that nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is too difficult for Him. So when we come to God, we have to bring to Him those things that we know we have no way of changing ourselves, no way of, of influencing ourselves outside of God intervening. Now God will open doors and close doors that we can't even imagine. How many of you know that in the mind of Moses, when he came to the Red Sea, that's probably the last direction he was planning on going? He thought, well, we're stuck here. Now, which mountain range should we go over? Because we can't go back toward the Egyptians. You see, God always has a better way for us when we get desperate enough and cry out to him and feel totally unable. We have to say, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm just believing you're going to show me. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm asking you to show me what to do so I'll know your will in this situation. And then thirdly, we must believe that God is interested and concerned in what interests and concerns us. And that's one of the greatest areas of difficulty I think many Christians have, to really believe that God is concerned about what you believe, you're concerned about. I mean, after all, God's so busy and he's so big, how could he possibly be interested in my situation? Or we say, my problem is so big, I don't know how God can even do anything about it, you see. Our God is either too small or he's too big. He's too busy or he's too lazy. Why? Because we've never come to a place where we really believe what the Word of God says, that God is interested in our lives and in the big and little things. Look at, I, I, we read in Psalm 146, and I want to go back to that again tonight to remind you of that portion of Scripture, for, or Psalm 146, verses 4, excuse me, verses 5 through 9. 146, 5 through 9. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Now when you can believe and trust in the Lord your God and believe that he's interested in you, you become a happy person. You know, when I walk down the street and see millions of, or hundreds of thousands of people, I was in Hong Kong, the street grabs were loaded, I walk down the street and say, God, this is incredible to know that you know I'm here in the midst of all these hundreds of thousands of people. You know who I am. You know all about me. I am so grateful that I serve a God who knows me and is concerned about me. <clears throat> Verse 6, which made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever. Or in other words, keeps his promise. When he says something, you can put it in the bank. And as I said last week, when you begin to think of your problem so large, start looking at the vast expanse of all that God has created and go down to the most minute thing and see that in every area, 
it's upheld by the word of his power. Everything is in order. He know, every, God's an orderly God. And nothing's too difficult for him. And if he's concerned about it, he can rearrange it. He can change it. He can do whatever has to be done. Which executed judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry, the Lord looseth the prisoners. Now, if any of these are your circumstances, then you know that this God is able to do these things. Are you oppressed? He sees to it that judgment can come so that you can be relieved from your oppression. Uh, which give food to the hungry. You have needs. I've seen, David says, I was young and old, yet never have I seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. God always makes provision for his children. He says he'll keep us even in the family. And I see a lot of Christians today that are so fearful that there's going to be this, this uh, world takeover and uh, they're going to have to go into the bunkers and uh, hide guns and everything in these bunkers so that when they come to try to get them, they can shoot and kill all of them. Uh, I don't see anything that, like that in the Word. God says he'll provide for us. We get this complex and we've got to hide and pull the lid in until Jesus comes. Verse 8. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. Or good men. He loves good men. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. Now when I read that I'm glad that I'm no longer classified in the wicked. Because God turns them upside down. About the time they think they're going to get somewhere God just reverses everything on them. You've got to understand that. When the wicked come against you, when people say things against you and try to, to devise all manners of mischief and evil against you, you just commit it to the Lord completely. Say, Lord, I'm trusting you and I know that you're going to work it out. Whatever comes, I'm going to thank you for it. When it comes, you know that God's going to protect you and keep you. And nothing can happen to you but what is in the will of God and you can rejoice in it because he's concerned for you. Then First Peter 5 uh Verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he what? He careth for the person sitting next to you. He careth for the person sitting behind you or in front of you. But that's what it says, isn't it? He careth for the pastor. Now, he careth for you, casting all your care on him because he careth for you. I want to just uh, go through that a little bit to talk to you a little bit about the, these two verses. Uh, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. First of all, the opposite is also true here. If you humble yourselves, he'll exalt you. Uh, God can allow you to be humiliated, too. You exalt yourself, and he knows how to humble you and humiliate you and put you down. And uh, to show you that, that uh, how to feel, how a penny feels waiting for change. He knows exactly what strings to pull and what doors to shut so that you're totally humiliated. That's why the scripture says, pride cometh before fall. But it says, humble yourselves. Now that means, first of all, you and I have to do it to ourselves. It's better to do it to yourself than to have God do it for you. You ever thought about that? Much nicer to let yourselves humble yourselves and, and uh, not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think than to have God step in and do it for you. To bow down in self-discipline and self-resignation and to be able to accept humbling experiences. Some people, when they go through a humbling experience, they become very defensive. When things happen that go against the grain for them, they begin to make all kinds of excuses. You don't have to make excuses. We don't have to defend ourselves. God allows these things to come into our life to teach us to have patience. 
to teach us to trust in the Lord with all our heart and not lean to our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him so that he can direct our paths. So when things come into our lives that, that seem to humble us and put us down, say, thank you, Father, if that's what I, I need, that's exactly what I need, and I'm going to thank you ahead of time for it. I'll tell you one thing. He wants to remove the pride because it's pride that will destroy us spiritually. And sometimes he knows what's very best for us, and he'll allow some experiences to come in that we don't want to come in, but when they do, they do a work in our lives. And it says that we must do the humbling ourselves. It's got to be a voluntary effort on our part. You see, the tendency in this world is to climb up over everyone else and try to get to the top. And this is not the biblical injunction. The biblical injunction says that we're to prefer others before ourselves. That we're to do unto others as we'd have others to do unto us. Not before they get a chance to do it unto us, but to do it unto that other as we would have them to do unto us. And uh, uh, the scripture says in Philippians 2 in the Kenosis theory concerning Jesus, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. He could have called 10,000 angels and destroyed the world and set him free, but he humbled himself. There's so much that could be said there. Because he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, because of that, God also highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above everything. He humbled himself. We have to voluntarily humble ourselves. Humble yourselves in the sight of God. Now, how do we humble ourselves? Don't put ourselves first. Considering others before ourselves. It's not what I want. What do others want? Do you know one of the greatest problems in homes today, marriages today, is that everybody is looking out for number one. And number one is not Christ. Number one is number this one, right here, looking out for what they want. And when you talk to people that are having trouble in marriages, well, they they don't give me what I expect. They're not what I expected they would be. I mean, they they and all I'm not getting what I want. And any time we put ourselves in that position, we're not humbling ourselves. And when we humble ourselves and become a servant. And yield ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, teach me what you have me to learn in this experience. God can't do the work that he wants to do until we're ready to do that. Someone said, whenever man is too high, God is too low. And evil is always sure to follow whenever that happens. That's why John the Baptist, who could have gotten a lot more acclaim, a lot more attention, and they came and said, are you the one? No, I'm not the one. No, no, no. The one that's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. And in the days ahead, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, you see, that really flies right in the face of the self-esteem message today. You and I are not to have self-esteem. We are to esteem Jesus Christ very highly. Who are we? We're nothing outside of Jesus Christ. We're just his servant. We're just a voice in the wilderness. We're just a pilgrim passing through. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, as though God has to be ceased to be it, that we're to beseech those around us, be you reconciled unto the Lord. We're just his servants while we're here. And why, why do we want to claim in this world? What good is it going to do? I thought of that train that went off the bridge up there in, in uh, Alabama, uh, Louisiana, uh, last week. I was in Alabama this morning at 3 o'clock. I know you heard about the uh, Amtrak train that went off the bridge. And as of right now, 43 dead and 10 at least missing. Yet. And... Uh, uh, the uh, Sproul, R.C. Sproul and his wife were in the last car on the train, and the last two cars in the train stayed on the on the track. And uh, the other four engines and uh, 
a mail car and uh, two uh, passenger cars went off into the 25-foot deep water. And I, I just thought to myself, 180-some people on the train, and I wonder how many have had their schedule all laid out for what they're going to do this coming week. And I keep saying, people, don't say tomorrow, as we just said a few moments ago, don't say tomorrow or next week I'm going to do that. the Lord willing, tomorrow. We have no idea what we're going to be doing tomorrow. And the important thing is we must realize that I am only here by the grace of God. I have one, maybe one breath left, and that breath is by the grace of God. These people all probably had their schedule set up for the next whole week. I'm sure that Brother Sproul uh, on the train was probably taking the slow way home so that he could have some time to write some more because he writes books all the time. Rather than fly, he wanted to just have some time with his wife, and so they were just taking the train. He had no idea what God had in store for him. He, had, he got off the train and went down and was ministering to those who had lost loved ones, and some of, them that were, some of the old folks that were in shock that had to swim out of the water. Uh, how did he know he was going to have? I mean, he had no idea where he was going to be at that moment. And God says, well, I want you right now. Well, this is not a very, I mean, why couldn't I be on television and announce it to thousands of people because God wanted to just talk to a few old people that are going into shock. But we have to be as happy to be up there. I like what one guy said, Lord, I'm willing to go anywhere or nowhere, be anything or nothing. All I want to do is be in the center of your will. You must increase. And I must decrease. It says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And I would to God that somehow I could get across to you that God's hand is mighty. There's not a fear of God in men's hearts and lives today. We have to understand that God's hand is mighty and God's hand is right and God's hand is powerful. And he, this term, the mighty hand of God, was used when it talked about bringing Israel out of Egypt. Uh, you'll notice it in Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter. Turn to that with me. Talked about the mighty hand of God. And by the way, God's hand is not weakened. Deuteronomy 8, beginning with the first verse. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee or to test you to know what was in your heart whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Let me tell you something. To be for 40 years where you're, you're eating from hand to, hand to mouth, you can't store up anything, you can't build up any savings account, you can't build a home, you're just living in a tent from day to day, and if God doesn't provide tomorrow morning while you're out here in the desert, you're a dead person. Very humbling. Can you imagine for 40 years to be in that situation? Verse 3, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. Now, I want you to know that there were times when they did hunger, I think God is trying to change your old appetite. And sometimes he'll allow us to go through some hard times and difficult times or we hunger a little bit to change our appetite to make us realize man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He said to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not. You didn't know what the stuff was. That white stuff you called that manna that means that white stuff whatever it is. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Wonderful provision. Over in verse 16. Who fed thee in the wilderness of manna, which thy, father, thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee, 
to do thee good at the latter end. God never allows trials and temptations to come into your life and my life without having a, an end reason for it, a purpose, that he might bless you in the end. And whenever he talks about what Job went through, what does he say? Remember the sufferings of Job. No, remember the end of Job. The end of Job. What was he? He went through all of this, but God did it for a reason, for a purpose, and in the end, God blessed him. God said, I did all these things for you to bless you. Over in the ninth chapter, in the 26th verse, 9.26, I prayed therefore unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, destroy not thy people and thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed through thy greatness, which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. You see, now there it is. It says, so humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. God brought Israel out. God did not take them from Egypt directly into the promised land. There was a lot. Someone said it took him just a few days to get them out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And there's a lot of things that God wants to get out of us before he can allow us to do the thing for which he's called us. Look how long Moses had to wait before he got to fulfill his, his uh, ministry. How about Joseph? Joseph had to operate under the mighty hand of God. He was given a rhema, and he submitted, oh, amen, praise God, my mother and father and all my brothers are going to bow down to me. Isn't that a wonderful, exciting thing? Let me tell you all about it. He told all of them about it, and the end result was they all hated him for it, and they threw him in a pit, and they sold him as a slave. Then he was imprisoned, and he, uh, when he got through, he said, you know, life is just not fair. This isn't fair. I mean, I tried to obey God, and look at this mess I'm in. Now, nowhere does the scripture say that. I heard a man preach just recently and said that that is because of Joseph's sin that he went into prison. But that isn't what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that Joseph was an upright man, a just man, an honest man, all the way through. He, he honored God all the way through. But there are some people who want to put blame on Joseph for him going to prison. He was under the mighty hand of God, and God was testing him and trying him and proving him to bring him forth as gold so that when the time came that he was to be exalted, he would be prepared for it. Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have thee that he might sift you as wheat. I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. You're going to go through it, Simon. That sift as wheat is like a threshing and just a really beating around. And he says, and when thou art recovered, strengthen thy brethren. I'm bringing you through that so later on you can say, hey, I've been through that, and I'll tell you, God is sufficient in a situation like that. And so when we're going through experiences like this, we're going in under the mighty hand of God. God's hand is protecting you and me if we're believers, and Satan can't touch us without God's permission. Let me say that again. If you're a believer tonight and you love the Lord tonight, it doesn't make any difference what Satan tries to do to you. He'll never be able to do one thing to you and me without God's explicit permission. And God will put a restriction on it. What did he say concerning Job? Well, you can touch his possessions, but don't touch his body. Well, you can touch his body, but don't you take his life. Everything that the devil did, he did only to the boundaries and limits that God put on him. Because we're operating under the mighty hand of God. So when this all happened to Joseph, being thrown into prison and all the rest of it, and he came out, what did he say to his brothers? You meant it for evil. That God meant it for good. Remember when his father passed away, Jacob passed away? All the brothers were shaking all over. They thought, now that dad's gone, he's going to clobber us. I mean, he's got all the power. He's got all the authority. Now, he's going to kill us. Joseph had to go to them and say, look, you don't understand. That's under the bridge. 
God did that. You know, had he not, uh, someone, somebody said uh, that he could have bound the spirit of jealousy in his brothers and he never would have been thrown into the pit. Well, if he'd have done that, he'd have never been in Egypt when they needed him the most, you see. We're always talking about all this authority and all this power. Listen, there's times when God allows things to happen in our lives that we don't understand and they're not pleasant. But he's bringing us to a place that when the time comes and we're needed, we're ready for it. We have to understand that. Think, don't ever resent or resist or rebel against life's experience. The Bible says, after having done all the stands, stand therefore. Stand therefore. And say, not my will, but thine be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It says, humble yourself. And uh, to humble yourself, it means you're going to have to change your wardrobe. Some of you can't afford any new clothes. Now, the Bible doesn't charge you for these, but there are new clothes that you need to put on. Look at Colossians, the third chapter with me. Colossians chapter 3. By the way, please note, it doesn't say... God is going to put these on for you. Colossians 3.8 But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Now if you see those things in there right now that you're still experiencing in your daily life, you're saying, well, I'm waiting for God to take it out of my life. No, no, no. He says, you put it off. You discipline that. Say, that will not operate in my life. That will not function then. In Jesus' name, I declare I am dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God. I'm not... For the likeness of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but all, Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Here we are again. See, we're to humble ourselves, and here's how we do it. We put these things on. Bowels of mercy. When the time comes that we want to be harsh with someone, we say, I refuse that in the name of Jesus, and we become merciful and kind toward them. We have to choose to do that. Now, we have gotten, you see, we are creatures of habit. If all of our lives we have tended to be self-centered, we have to say that, I renounce that selfishness in Jesus' name, and I'll not let it function in my life anymore. I will begin to manifest the love of God and allow bowels of mercy to be a part of my life. Kindness. I'm not going to speak harshly anymore. I'm going to think kindly toward people. Humbleness of mind. I'm not as hot as I think I am. Fellows have to quit getting up in the morning and looking in the bathroom mirror and saying, you handsome creature, don't you ever die. We've got to realize that that... We have to look at ourselves as God sees us. Outside of the grace of God, we are without hope. Then long-suffering, and, or meekness and long-suffering. Meekness is not weakness. I've said this to you before. Meekness simply means you understand that you are under the mighty hand of God and you don't have to defend yourself, but instead you can protect and encourage and strengthen others around you. But it does not mean you're weak. It means you can stand in a gentle way and say, I don't, I don't intend to move. I love you, but I don't intend to move. And then long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. If someone gets into a quarrel, will you forgive them? Be quick to forgive them. Now, what are we doing? We're humbling ourselves. We're crucifying the flesh. 
They call it sanctification. They call it the spirit-filled life. They call it the, the uh, evidence of the spirit, uh, spirit-led life. All these different terms that, that are used, but basically it means we're humbling ourselves, we're crucifying our old nature, and we're committing ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. And it goes on and says, And above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule, or be act as a judge in your heart, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Put off these clothes, put on these clothes. Why? Humble yourselves in the sight of God, that he might exalt you, it says. If we humble ourselves, he exalts us. If we exalt ourselves, he will humble us. And then the last part of that verse is the hard part. Oh, how many times I've wished that that weren't in there. First Peter 2, 5, and 6. The last part of uh, the... Uh, uh, excuse me. Yes. Sorry, that's not right either. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. I knew something was wrong there. 5, 6, and 7. Uh, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you, what? In due time. Living Bible says, in his good time. In his good time. How many of you know there are things that come into our lives that we don't understand? I mean, I already know that it needs to happen now. In fact, it should have happened years ago like two years ago or one year ago or six months ago it should have happened you ever have those times when God you're late you have to stop and say God that's a lie you're never late God's time is always right and anxiety and frustration comes when we try to get God to jump through our loop our hoop Instead of saying it doesn't make any difference, Lord, your timing will be absolutely perfect. And I want to tell you something. Some things that you and I want to get done right now won't even happen in our lifetime. I remember my wife's grandfather just prayed for years that the Lord would come while he was still here on earth. It didn't happen. I know of a man by the name of Abram, who later was called Abraham, who looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. He didn't find it in his life, did he? Neither did, he, did Jacob or Esau or any of the rest of them. But that city's there, whose builder and maker is God. But it wasn't in God's timetable. The scripture says in the fullness of time, God sent his son in the likeness of flesh for sinful, for, to, to die for sinful man. God knew it, and his timing was absolutely perfect. The scripture says, Jesus was obedient unto death, wherefore God also highly exalted him. And Stephen who I imagine uh, was, was dreaming of having a mighty ministry for Jesus Christ. Can you imagine this young fellow, how excited he was to see how God was using him and miracles were happening and he was really having an impact and then suddenly began to be stoned and he looked up and said, God, this is junk. No. He just looked up and said, Hallelujah, no undertaker but an uppertaker. Here we come. Lord Jesus, into your hands I commend my spirit. 
I just want to know something. Are we to that place right now? If all of a sudden we knew we we're going to be facing death in five minutes, would we say, oh, no, 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 I've got so many things I want to get done. I go, hallelujah, here we go. I'm not telling you that you should be so heavenly-minded in order for the good, but I'm telling you to keep so disengaged from this world that if God tomorrow told you to be in Timbuktu, you'd just ask him how high on the way up going. I mean, no argument about it. On his schedule, his timetable, not ours, in due time. And I'll tell you, he will exalt you if you'll choose to humble yourself. I've had some people say, well, you know something, my life, I mean... I've just been a total failure. I haven't done anything worthwhile. I said, are you living for God? Trying to, then you're not a failure. Yeah, but I haven't influenced all these people. I said, neither did Stephen. Jesus only influenced Christ. Basically, that he had followed him. See, we're always so success-oriented, and success is to what? Be obedient to the will of God and to walk in obedience to Jesus Christ every day. Now, if he doesn't open the door, some people were talking the other night in Bible study, why can't I, why doesn't God use me in this way or that way or the other way? God, in his divine understanding, only found one Moses, and he chose one Joshua, and one Elijah, and one Elisha, and one Jeremiah, and one Ezekiel. I mean, there weren't thousands of them in, in each generation, but there were many others under that whose names we do not know. What was it the prophet said? Oh, God, I'm the only one left that has about his knees as Baal. God said, oh, stand up and quit whining like a pup. There's 7,000 more just like you around here that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. He didn't even name them off. He didn't put them in the gallery of famous people. We don't have their list here in the Word of God, but God knew who they were. You see, we're so concerned about whether we make a big impact and a big splash in this world. What I want to know is, God, does you know where I am? Am I doing what you're supposed, what I'm supposed to be doing? Jesus said, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. But I'll tell you one thing. His ways and ideas are best. His ways and ideas are always best. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and He'll exalt you in due time. Don't be impatient. Don't grumble. Don't murmur. But instead rejoice. And again I say rejoice. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Why? Because anything I get besides hell is mercy and grace. And therefore, I will wait upon the Lord and let the Lord open the door. You see, there are times when I wondered why the Lord didn't allow me to go on out into evangelism and stay in evangelism for many years where Beverly and I would be musical and preaching and everything else. But God needed to put me down here at the end of Dead End Row in Skunk Hollow where nobody knew me, back in the corner, back in a little room where he could get after me and really say, now get into the Word and begin to study. I had no, no idea whatsoever 20 years ago that I would still be here. In fact, I used to ridicule my father-in-law for that very thing. How can you stay in one church with just a few people just get... God said, just give me a minute, I'll show you. Yeah. Well, hey, don't laugh. Moses, next possible pharaoh in Egypt, out for 40 years feeding a bunch of stupid sheep. He was out there for so long, he got to a place he couldn't even talk without going by. God said, I want you to go to live in peace. I can't I can, I can you talk anymore. God said, I need your mouth. See, in due time, when God said, okay, now Moses, time, let's go. 
I'm not ready now. Well, you should have kept ready. But you know, really, he didn't have to get ready for much. All he had to do is go and do what God told him to do. And everything else worked out. See, do you know that tomorrow God could work a miracle in, in our lives or in this church for everything we've seen in the past would be totally reversed. If we humble ourselves and be obedient to God, in due time He will reward whatever way He sees fit. What are you facing right now? What is your greatest concern right now? Give it to the Lord. Right now say, Lord, I acknowledge you in my life. And I release that to you. And I'm not going to get anxious about it. I'm not going to set a timetable on it. See, I've just been dedicated committing to the Lord concerning our property out here. Because before, by the end of December, we're supposed to have some payment for that, uh, for the option out there in the property. We don't have it right now. I said, Lord, I'm doing everything I know to do. I'm making all the steps business-wise. I'm making all the contacts I know how to make. And the rest I leave in your hands. You show us what you want to do. For testimony's sake, Lord, it's up to you. Whatever you want to do, I really want to be obedient to you. I have no idea how it's going to work out. But I know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. All things. Does that mean that it's going to be paid? I don't know if that's what's good. Not to me. I'd say, oh, yes, God. That's good. I mean, pay it so, you know. I don't know what God's getting ready to do. My question is, Lord, whatever you want to do, do it. Next week we'll get into the last, I mean, 1 Peter 5, 7. Wonderful stuff. Wonderful stuff. I don't know about you, but this, this ministered to me. We get so taken up and so pulled down into the uh, abyss of the things that we're involved in that we forget to realize that He's in charge. And every morning when Jody and I pray, we say, God, give us wisdom, give us understanding, give us favor. Uh, bless us, make your face shine on us, and give us peace. And, and Lord, we're just trusting you for insight and understanding and for guidance and direction in our daily walk. And when we walk through the day, I have no idea how things are going to work out. And I, there's sometimes uh, things that happen so frustrating, are, that are so frustrating for me in the natural. I go to one end of the house, and I think, why did I come back here? I go to the other end of the house to leave, and I think, oh, now I remember. So I go all the way back. Oh! I say, God, will you please sharpen up my mind or something? I say, Lord, I just give that to you too. That is not, that's just so minuscule in comparison to knowing what you want me to do. And I say that because there's some people who think, well, God must not be involved because I, mean, I have these little quirks. We all do. And that's why God can work through the weakness of the flesh. When we give it over to him and he fills us with his Holy Spirit, he, he makes up for those weaknesses in our lives. And I don't care what your inadequacies may be, you may think you have. He's more than adequate to fulfill and, and to make up for that and to use you as his, his servant. How many of you feel worthy of even being able to serve Jesus Christ in yourself? Yeah. How many of you feel talented enough to what God does? That's why he says he takes the foolish things of this life and confound the wise. He takes those things that are nothing to make them into something. Why? So that there won't be anybody going around with their thumbs in their armpits in heaven saying, see what I did? No, it's all of grace. His mercy and grace. So just learn that principle. To know that God is concerned about the things that you're concerned about. And when you pray about the big and the little things, 
he's concerned, and he will hear. He, his ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. His arm is not shortened that he cannot save. So, when we call on the Lord, then commit it to the Lord and trust in Him every moment. Father, I thank you that your promises are yea and amen. And when we fulfill your, re- your requirements, your duty bound to fulfill your promises. We commit this truth to you, and I pray tonight that our lives will be more committed to you than ever before. We'll lay aside all of our own reasoning and trust you to work out every detail in our life. We want you to know right now, Lord, we do trust you. We have no idea what your timetable is, but we want to be ready at any moment to do whatever you tell us to do. Teach us to trust in you moment by moment and be ready at any time to give an answer to those that ask a reason for the hope that lies within us and be ready to declare what you've shown us in the message you've given us. In Jesus' precious name we ask it. All of God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Fifth chapter. First Peter chapter 5. We've been talking about five steps to productive prayer. Can someone tell me what the first step is? whatever we pray for should deeply interest or concern us us we should be really concerned the scripture says the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much I mean if you're not worried about it why let God get worried about it and God will put things on our heart that we should be praying about concerned that we should be praying about but he wants us first of all to have the burden and then bring that burden to him and cast it on him what's the second thing that's right when we come, we have to realize that we're asking God to do something that's totally, that we're totally incapable of doing. Otherwise, why should we ask Him? If He's given us the ability to do it, let's go just go do it. If that's God's will, go and do it. But we come to Him when things seem absolutely impossible. I'll never forget when a, when a Bible college up in Canada, one of their uh, drivers plowed into a, a hay rack full of children, and uh, they didn't have insurance on that vehicle, this, the vehicle this one child, young person took and took off the campus with. And they said, you know, uh, if, if I, I'm glad it worked out this way because if they'd have said two or $300,000, why we would have been scraping around trying to find out some way to raise the money to pay for this. But the amount that they're going to file for suit against this is totally impossible for us, so we just have to trust God. And uh, that's when you begin to really know that you have to lean on the Lord. Thirdly, what? Yeah, if God's not interested, if we don't believe God's interested, why should we bother him with it? We should realize that the Lord invites us to come and bring all our cares to him. And the verse, let me just turn back again to verse uh, to Psalm 146 and read the verses that I shared with you on that. Psalm 146 says, 146, beginning with verse 5, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, 
whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever, or keeps his promise forever, which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry, the Lord looseth the prisoners, the Lord openeth the eyes of the blind, raiseth them that are bowed down, the Lord loveth the righteous, the Lord preserveth the strangers, he relieveth the fatherless and the widow, but the way of the wicked will he, uh, the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. So we know that when people have concerns, it says here that God cares for them and he meets those needs, he takes care of those who have concerns. Now, we were talking about this one portion of scripture, <clears throat> and we went to 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, if, if these other three things are true, that we're interested in it, we know we can't do it ourselves, and we believe that God is interested in it, then that behooves us to cast all our care over on the Lord. And uh, there in uh, this same portion, there in verse uh, 5, it says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, and submit yourselves to one another, be clothed in humility. Now, that's man, that's man relationship, man-to-man relationship. First of all, be subject to one another, and secondly, be clothed with humility. But then in the sixth verse, it's our God-man relationship. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And uh, a good practical application of that is examples in the scripture. Joseph humbled himself under the mighty hand of God, never allowed it to make him bitter, never demanded that God had to do something right now. Now there's a lesson that I, if we never learn any other lesson, remember that Joseph, when it was all over, he was not bitter, he did not have the smell of smoke on him. He came out saying, you intended for evil, God intended for good. If I hadn't been here, we would have all starved. God was working in all of these things. And all the time while he was in prison, he said, I'm here and I didn't do anything wrong. But he gave him all the reason in the world to scream, God, you're unfair. God, I don't understand this. This is wrong. God, I don't, I, what, why are you not just with me? He didn't do those things. Wherever he was, he just bloomed where he was planted. And the scripture says, in God's timing, he brought him, took him out from the shackles around his feet and his hands and neck and brought him out and raised him up to a position of great authority. Joseph was a good example of that one thing. But Noah... Talk about patience. God told him what he should do, and for 120 years with persecution and people screaming at him and everything else. And by the way, you know, there's times when, when it's, not, it's not pleasant when people say nasty things to you, and once in a while they do that to me. Uh, it's not very pleasant. But I, I'm not experiencing anything like Noah did. I mean, first of all, I mean, what did they say to Noah? The very thing they say, well, God's never done that before, never told people to have to break up their families before. And I want to say, you know, God never told anybody it's going to rain before. I mean, it never rained before either. When Noah's going on for 120 years saying it's going to rain. What's rain? Well, God says it's going to rain. It's going to come down water. Down. That's ridiculous. It never has happened before. It doesn't make any difference if it never happened before. If God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And he did it for 120 years very patiently. And Moses, I said, 40 years in the wilderness when all he's trying to do is help his own people and following a bunch of, uh, leading a bunch of dumb sheep around, and then 40 years with a bunch of rebellious billy goats, and many didn't even get to go into the promised land. I mean, you and I have not had it bad. Casting all your care upon him. By the way, this is not a request. This is a command. We're cast, we are to cast our cares upon the Lord, and it's for, for born-again believers, and it requires an effort. Believe me, it's hard to cast your cares on the Lord. 
You know, even though sometimes we somebody gives us a ride, our tendency is to stick our foot out and try to push and help help the ride go along. And when we give something to the Lord, a lot of times we'll say, Lord, here it is. I'll hold on to it too, and we'll work this out together, and I'll get... Isn't that something how we think that God can't do it in his own time and in his own way? This is the conclusion of CD number one. Please go to CD number two for a continuation of the message.